Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dives, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, everybody? Al Sacco here with you for another edition of the No Huddle Podcast presented by 49ers Web Zone. Great to be with you, but I'm coming with you today, um, and there is no Zane. Zane had another commitment, so he wasn't able to make the show, but he'll be back for our next show, and always great to hear Zane's insight, so we look forward to having him back on the show. But a lot of um, things happening with the 49ers. We had a couple major injuries. And now I know we've had Jimmy Ward out, but these are the first time that we've had a major injury to a, start, a couple starting players. And the first is Malcolm Smith, and he has a, a pectoral injury, and he's going to be out for the season. Now, what this does, and we'll get into it more with our guests today, is it opens the door for Reuben Foster. And I truly believe that Reuben Foster was going to end up starting anyway, and I think he was going to leapfrog Malcolm Smith. But this puts Ruben in there now. And what will happen is, and, and we saw it already with um, the next practice, is, is Foster stepped right in and is already working with the first team. And listen, I think Foster's a guy who could be the best player on the 49ers for the next 10 years if he stays healthy. So there's nothing wrong with getting him in the starting lineup. Obviously, it hurts the depth, but you know, there's nothing you can really do about that. You have to play the hand you're dealt, and they still have Ray Ray Armstrong. And your starters will be Foster, Bowman, and, and Brooks. Now, the other injury was Joshua Garnett. And as far as guard goes, listen, it's a question mark for this team. But there are some vets there. You have Brandon Fusco. You have Zane Beatles. You're going to have the loser of the Daniel Kilgore, Jeremy Zuda battle. So Jeremy Zuda battle, I should say. So there are definitely options there to fill in for guard. Now, Garnett should be back, you would hope, in four to six weeks or so as it, he may or may not need to have surgery. I'm not sure on that, but um, they're hoping the knee gets better and they can get him back at some point early in the season. So a lot of things happening and obviously very exciting with this first preseason game coming up too. Now, anytime you get a new regime, it's exciting, but with the 49ers and, and all the excitement is there is around Shanahan and seeing this offense work and seeing this new defense, it's going to be great to finally see them on the field. We've heard a lot about Hoyer during practice and how he's been doing. We've heard a lot about some of the rookies like Trent Taylor. Uh, George Kittle's been starting. Obviously, Foster, like I said. It's going to be fun to see these guys play and also to look for different storylines during the game. And I was able to talk about that and more with our guest today, 49ers beat writer, Cam Inman, he was, Cam was, did a great job. He gave very detailed answers, and I think everybody's going to really enjoy the interview that he gave us. So without further ado, let's do it. Let's bring Cam on. All right. Our guest today joined the Bay Area News Group in 1995 and has been specializing in the 49ers since 2000. Welcome to the show, Cam Inman. Cam, thanks for being here. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. No problem. No problem. All right. To get started, I wanted to, to find out a little bit about, about you. How did you get started in the media and how, how was it that you came about covering the 49ers? Uh, let's see. I turned pro probably when I was 16 years old, growing up in Cupertino. I, um, I was going to Bonavista High School and then uh, my first paid gig was working for the Cupertino Courier Weekly Paper my senior year of high school. And then, um, then I went down to Cal Poly. And all four years while I was going to school there for the uh, city newspaper, the Telegram Tribune, which is now uh, the San Luis Obispo Tribune. And then spent another two years down on the central coast living in Pismo and working for the Santa Maria Times before I moved up here in 95 
uh, to Pleasanton, but that's when, you know, there were so many different newspapers in the Bay Area back then, and I was working for uh, the Valley Times, doing some high schools, doing uh, our sports section just to get my foot in the door, and then uh, also the San Jose soccer team, the Clash, got uh, came into play. They needed a beat writer to cover pro soccer, so I was all up for that and did some national team stuff, and then in 2000, we had an opening to uh, for the Ford Niner Beat, so I hopped on the Niner Beat. Did that for five years with, let's see, Jerry Rice was uh, my first year. Jerry Rice's last year on the Niners was my first year on the beat. Um, then Mariucci got fired a couple of years later. And then it was a lot of turmoil and chaos ever since then over the last <laughs> like, 17 years. So you were like a child prodigy starting at 16. You're like the Le- LeBron James of beat writing. Well, you know what's funny? was uh, I think my first, well, I think probably in, when I was 13, I figured I wanted to go into some kind of sports journalism, sports writing. That was like in uh, middle school, and I remember uh, I, I'm bringing this up because I just had this conversation with my uh, my daughter and her uh, her best friend that lives next door. Is they're going on to the yearbook staff in junior high, and I go, oh, I did that too. I go, that's when I wanted. I was like her sports editor. I was all stoked, and uh, it, <clears throat> that's kind of the problem is I, I got cursed at an early age to go into this, and uh, <laughs> it's been wonderful. It's everything I've wanted it to be. So, well, we we enjoy, we enjoy your work for sure. All right. Now, there, there's a lot to get into now, including some injuries that just popped up. But I actually wanted to start out by asking you about the quarterbacks, because it really sounds like, yeah. like Brian, Brian Hoyer's looks strong so far in camp. Can you tell us your impressions on him so far? He, yeah, he, he really has. And I'm not I'm not trying to overdo it and just, you know, pump a lot of positivity in the air. But I, I had my doubts in the spring, just like everybody else, because here's a guy that, that's bounced around so many teams. And for a league that craves quarterbacks, you don't let the good ones go. Mm-hmm. So how is Brian Hoyer going to be the 49ers savior, at least for 2017? And during the spring, I just, I didn't see him throw deep very often. We were only allowed out there for what, one hour a week uh, during the spring drills and just didn't see him connect. And he, he, Marquise Goodwin's a down, downfield threat. And I'm like, well, what's going on here? So I wrote a story about it. I'm not necessarily critical of him saying he can't do it. I'm just saying I hadn't seen it. And I think it was probably the, the veteran minicamp in June. They they put a play in. Uh, Goodwin went deep. Hoyer hit a, hit about a 60-yard bomb into the wind right on the money. And one of the linemen uh, looked over at me from the huddle out there and he shouted, Cam, that one's for you. So obviously these guys will read anything negative about them. <laughs> and I will tell you what, like I tipped my cap. I said, yep, very good. And uh, every like just about every practice, in training camp, Hoyer has gone deep repeatedly, and the pass has been on the money. And I've watched a lot of 49er practices over the years, and they have not had many quarterbacks with downfield accuracy. Um, and, and I'm not meaning to not call Kaepernick or Alex Smith or Jeff Garcia, on and on. But And I'm not saying Hoyer is going to be a great downfield like bomber, but that, that is an asset to his game along with play-action fakes. Uh, his ability to diagnose and read defenses and his ability to stay in the pocket rather than scramble. So I, I had a sit down with Kyle Shanahan in his office Friday and we talked about Hoyer a little bit and I was telling him, I go, look, it looks like he's, he's doing great. He's like, look, I knew what I was getting with Brian. And he went over each one of those things I just said. And uh, for basically the qualifications of what he wants in a system quarterback. And, and those were, those were quali- qualifications. I don't think Colin Kaepernick had. So, Anybody that gets all into the other conspiracy is Colin with every single team. With the Niners, it's way much more cut and dry where I think he wanted to start. The Niners needed a fresh start. It was a different offense, and you can 
really cite the football-only reasons why Collins not here, and I don't think he's really missed on the field. I, I don't think people had a problem with him or what he was necessarily doing in terms of his protest because that, that was not a disruptive force in the locker room last year from, from my perspective. It, it was different seeing how many people would show up and how he would hold court once a week to go over these topics passionately. Uh, but on the field, there just wasn't a lot there uh, for anybody on the team. It was it was a bad situation all around. And right now, I wrote a column today that's going to probably be in our newspaper tomorrow, just about how positive the vibe is. And we've been hearing a lot about it. It was a long-winded answer. I'm sorry. No, I, hey, it's, it's all just, good. We love it. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, it's 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 a time where people are really buying into the this this team is showing signs that it's pulling out of the tailspin. And there's the new regime, there's, there's new people everywhere. So there's a lot of competition. So nobody's going to be skating through on any scholarship. Everybody's going to be, have to earn it. And, and some of these top picks look like they're panning out because they know that they have a contract. It's their second contract. They're trying really hard to impress the new regime. And one of the, the new quarterbacks that they brought in, C.J. Beathard, is, has been working with the second-team offense. And, and that's so significant to me that he's doing this already because ideally – if, if Hoyer is, isn't more than a one-year thing, you know, they'd love for C.J. Beathard to become Kirk Cousins rather than spend $25 million on Kirk Cousins. So does Beathard really have a shot to beat out Barkley here this soon? Uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? I mean, you would say, no, there's no way a rookie will beat out a guy that's been in the league a few years. But Matt Barkley bounced around to a few different teams. And he really doesn't have an experienced resume to put up there and say, well, we can fall back on this guy because he knows what, what to do in the NFL. He obviously has had a lot more snaps than C.J. Beathard. Uh, but they really have split the reps in, uh, in, in training camp. And it's almost like I chart every pass for some stupid reason. Uh, you, when there's a quarterback controversy, that's, that's understandable. But right now, Brian Hoyer is a runaway number one. But I still do it just because I want to track how guys are doing. Mm-hmm. And they're not – whenever you read training stats, you got to take it with a consult because – a lot of times the, the pass rush might really have had a sack and the guy may not have gotten a pass off. Or, uh, there, there's a lot of different things. Anyhow, for the amount of times that they go back to pass, it, it really has been even. And neither and one of these guys uh, are commanding uh, much attention of, wow, they're really, we're, we're set at the backup quarterback position. But there's enough encouraging signs of C.J. Beathard, especially at the uh, open practice Saturday. He had a couple throws. Uh, where I was just really impressed. Now, there was one or two where they were floaters and they weren't great things, but if you find a guy that's like willing to throw a dart where only one or two people are going to be able to get the ball, and it's a receiver, hopefully, then that's, that's what I want to see in a quarterback. And that's what we really saw when Colin Kaepernick first debuted in, in 2012, where he came and got out against the Bears, and he had about three or four passes where he said, holy cow, nobody's really attempted uh, a pass like that. And C.J. Beathard looks like he's willing to do that. Now, the team has struggled so much, obviously, the past two years. And even the last year with, with Jim Harbaugh, things were a little bit ugly. Do the practices just look different? Do they look crisper to you? Does this just look like a better coaching staff than they've had the last two years? Um, well, I think that's kind of unfair to the past because they all have their different, you know, how they do it differently. Chips was, Chip Kelly's was very unique because, you know, you're signaling plays in from the sideline. So the players are all up at the line of scrimmage looking over and that's just that was not an NFL kind of style, which is well, hey, maybe it works. If it works, then that's going to be the NFL style, but it didn't. And then Tom Sula's practices were were fine. He, there was enough carryover from the playoff years where things weren't falling apart. But 
Yeah, Shanahan's. Uh, the, okay, here's something that I just I like is they have obviously the last few years there's been a lot more music played at practice, keep guys loose and stuff. Well, Shanahan brings it up a notch because he has his personal assistant out there uh, actually doing a live DJ uh, underneath the canopy, and the guy plays great music and and the players appreciate it. And you can see they keep some of them loose. Now some of the guys that really should be paying attention to what's going on in practice are dancing off to the side, and and one or two of those guys is already out the door. So the Niners know, like, they know who's taking it seriously, and it's not that it's a loose atmosphere, but it's it's when it's time to work, and if you're prepared to know what you're doing, uh, that's what that's exactly what Shanahan wants. Now you mentioned those deep passes that Brian Hoyer was throwing, and, and many of them have landed in the hands of, of Marquise Goodwin, who is yet to really take a step forward in the NFL, but it, it looks like he's poised for a breakout year. Is he the offensive, the downfield offensive weapon this team's been, been missing? Well, it's the one that he's a downfield weapon. They paid Torrey Smith to be the last couple of years, and uh, now they're paying Mark Goodwin to do it. So it's, you know, it's it's not a for sure thing, but he he's looked outstanding. I mean, the the line with any deep threat receiver from all the times I've covered the NFL is, hey, I'm more than that. I can do all these other routes. Well, that's great because you got to keep the defense honest. But but when you have a guy with that much speed, uh, he he definitely is one of the 49ers starting starting wide receivers because he he just wants to make the play. He's getting open. He, he has, he's shown great hands. A lot of guys with speed don't have the hands, uh, but Goodwin does, and he, he, he wants to be a star in this league, and he's going to have the opportunity to do so. And anything he can do downfield is going to help Pierre Garcon. It's going to help Kyle Juszczyk, uh, Carlos Hyde, Brian Hoyer, down, down and down the list. The way it's supposed to be, and like you said, the best deep threat the Niners have had the last five years was probably Ted Ginn. And that was really only good for maybe three catches downfield all season because you just never knew if they were going to air it out to Ted or, or if they could. And so I think Hoyer is more than willing to take those chances. And for, for Hoyer's sake, he, he needs to because he needs to show he has the all-around game that can keep him as a 49ers quarterback for more than just this season. Now, moving on to some of the injuries that have happened, our fan question this week actually comes from Ryan Adams, who wanted to ask you um, to sort of lay out the effects of, of the Malcolm Smith injury and what will happen from there. Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of funny because the star of this training camp is, is undoubtedly Reuben Foster, just because, mm. number one, he's healthy, right? There was questions about him at the draft whether he could even play his rookie year because Kyle Shanahan. You know, said, well, the worst case scenario is he doesn't play, which is the worst case scenario with anybody. But people jump to it and say, oh my God, he's not going to play. Well, he's playing, cleared to practice, cleared for contact, and he comes out and gets three interceptions in his, in his first four practices. And never mind that they're off uh, the undrafted rookie quarterback. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, Reuben Foster read the plays well. It's a guy that doesn't have interception history at Alabama, but he's the guy that everybody wants to see get in there. And so who's ahead of him on my depth chart? Well, on the first string, it's it's Malcolm Smith. And Malcolm Smith, they paid a ton of money to, and one of the key reasons was he's familiar with this scheme, having played it in Seattle. And, you know, the godsend, any, any bright, I guess, silver lining to this is for the last, what, four or five months, he's been able to teach Navarro Bowman and other guys on uh, defense where they're supposed to be in this scheme uh, before he got hurt. And so with Malcolm Smith goes out, then Ray Ray Armstrong, uh, he could get promoted from the second team to go up and play weak side linebacker. Remember, 
uh, Ray was the guy that started the first two games last year before he tore his own pectoral muscle. So I think, if, like, looking at how this is going to be, I don't think the 49ers are going to put Reuben Foster in there for every down to start his rookie year. I can see them platooning Ray Ray and, and Reuben and maybe mixing in and out Bowman even. If Bowman's showing some, some uh, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say lack of mobility, but if he's not able to uh, generate the pass coverage he needs to, well, then you have two linebackers uh, that really are nimble and athletic and can get out in space. And maybe you see Armstead and uh, Foster. Now, obviously, Joshua Garnett went down too. And, and while guard is a question mark, they do have some vets to step in there with Brandon Fusco and, and Zane Beatles and maybe even Kilgore moves over there, Jeremy Zuda. There, there are some players there, but the injuries at safety have been concerning, especially Jimmy Ward yeah. because that free safety is so important to this defense. And, and listen, Ward has an injury yeah. history. He's missed 13 games. Do the Niners have yeah. enough depth at that free safety position? No. Uh, well, they don't have enough experience depth. They have... They have some really intriguing undrafted rookies and uh, Lorenzo James. What's it? Lor- oh, gosh, how do I get his name wrong? Lorenzo Jerome. Lorenzo Jerome, yes. Yep. Yeah. And, and Chancellor James. And both of them are really intriguing. They're bigger body guys. Um, but I, I don't think it's a problem as much as, like, because, you know, the first week of camp, we see three safeties get hurt, right? And it's like, oh, that's not good. Uh, Jimmy Ward has been out there on the practice field rehabbing every day. And it's a hamstring injury. You don't want to rush a hamstring injury back, especially when you have a month and a half before the regular season counts. Um, and it, to me, Jimmy's, he's very, uh, he's a really good student of the game. And I think he's going to be able to transition fine back there. He has the athleticism. Obviously, there will be growing pains, but uh, Eric Reed, he's been around the league a while. He's going to be right in front of him, helping him make calls once the, once the action gets going September 10th. And Zakowski Tart, you know, he had that rib injury a few uh, a few days ago in practice, and this guy was in so much pain just walking off the field. It took him thirty minutes to get out the field. Very, just nobody was really watching him. I, I just kept an eye on him just to see what the heck was going on. But the next day he came back out, was walking around okay, and so it's not a serious injury. So I think he'll be ready to go too. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of concern because these guys have gotten hurt early. They got their the durability ish is there. Um, also, the experience issue is there, too, because you don't have experienced cornerbacks. So mm-hmm. uh, the Niners' strength on defense is their front seven, front eight, I guess, if you want to read in there. And those guys are going to have to generate the pass rush to help out the young secondary because uh, we just haven't seen enough turnovers or takeaways on defense these last couple of years. And that really, to me, is traced back to the fact that they haven't had a great pass rush. So... I guess that's kind of where I'm saying, like, the safeties are going to look good if the pass rush is good. In Lorenzo Jerome, we had him on the show, and I was so impressed with him, the way he carries himself and, and how hard he appears to work. And he's an undrafted free agent. He's a rookie, but he's really got a nose for the ball. And I know he's come away with some interceptions at practice. Do you see him making this 53-man roster? Without a doubt. Uh, without a doubt. I mean, he has he does have a great nose for the football. Sometimes it'll get him in trouble. Uh, where he will go for the pick and he'll miss the play. And so that's kind of the fine line that the 49ers are going to have to teach him is uh, you just got to make sure that you're not giving up the long touchdown because in this defense, that free safety position is called the eraser for a reason. You have to erase other people's mistakes. You can't make your own mistake. Otherwise, it's, it's, it's <laughs> we're going to have more of last year's problems where we had the worst defense in the team history. So I do like him. Um, he does have that ball hockey. I, I, I dig it. I think uh, 
here's a comparison that I haven't really thought about, but, you know, Deshaun Goldson came into the league a few years ago, right? And he was a guy that would be willing to put hits on guys and go after the ball, and they were generating a lot of turnovers. And I, maybe maybe he's kind of in that mold. That he's mm. kind of a bigger body guy, too. So It's a good comparison for sure. Now, the first preseason game is obviously right around the corner. Are there any main storylines you think we should be looking for as, as, as we watch this game? Well, I think you brought up one of them is how do the number two quarterbacks play out? Uh, yeah, does does C.J. Barkley respond well? Or, yes, C.J. Barkley, C.J. Beathard. Man, look at that. We can blend them together. Like one of those bromance things. <laughs> um, how do those guys respond, you know, in, in this kind of action? I, I'm not too concerned about the offensive line. I'm not too concerned about the defense because, the speed of the preseason really is not going to compare to what we're going to see um, come the regular season against Cam Newton, Christian McCaffrey, and those guys. All right, so anytime you go into the preseason or exhibition season, I want to see how the rookies respond. And I want to see if Matt Breida, running back, he's been playing great, looking good. I want to see how good he is. I want to see uh, which of these wide receivers might be able to steal a sixth spot on the wide receiver core if they keep that many? Because Kendrick Bourne's a, he's a bigger body guy, but Victor Bolden has some sensational speed that would be great as a uh, kick returner if they don't want Trent Taylor being the kick returner um, or Jeremy Curley. So those are the guys I'm, I'm kind of looking at on offense. And defensively, you just, I honestly, I think defensively, you just pray that nobody gets hurt because it, it's a unit that's been, struggled so much and they're, they're trying just to get this chemistry going. They're going to have a, a pretty good defensive line and a, and a solid rotation there. They can't afford to have any more linebackers hurt, any more safeties hurt. And uh, at cornerback, yeah, let's see how uh, Robinson, Dante Johnson, uh, let's see how they are in the, you know, at least the first quarter of action. I think those guys might get a little bit more action as they test out how they are because those are this, that position is a little bit unsettled too is Keith Reeser and Clay. Will Redmond, Will Davis, uh, Kawan Williams is looking good in the in the uh, as a nickelback. So uh, but it, 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 there's there's so many positions still up for grabs. We're not talking about the, the playoff contending roster in past years, and I think that's kind of one reason why this camp is um, there's so much uh, positive competition going on that guys are going to earn their spots. All right, Cam, before we let you go, it's time for our rapid-fire segment where the fans get to know a little bit more about our guests. You know, we read all your stuff and we know your work, but we want to know a little bit about, you know, what your hobbies are and things like that. So to start off, what are some of your favorite or go-to movies? Oh, my go-to movies. Like the kind of movie that I would stop and watch if it's on TV. Yeah, like what we're no, saying, matter what would... part, no matter what part it's on, you're just you're watching that whole thing. I would probably say, okay, Caddyshack's uh, great one. Although I say my best sports, I say the best sports movie of all time is Bad News Bears. I'm I'm in the minority on it, but I think that really personifies <laughs> Americana, right? Um, let's see. I, I I here's one that's kind of off the beaten path. I did get Shorty with uh, Don Travolta and some, some okay. other great great actor, right? Okay. Um, yeah. Let's see the best. I'm trying to think of what's the best football movie that stops me in my tracks. Because uh, there's really not that many great football movies. Varsity Blues was on the other night. It turned it on. It was that that movie cracks me up too sometimes. So uh, remember the Titans is a good one. Line. Yeah, which one? Remember the Titans. What's that's that? a good. That's a good one. 
with yeah, Denzel remember, Washington. Remember the tight ones is like, it's, but that's so sentimental, and and you really get uh, you got to commit to that uh, that you're going to put the time down and emotional investment in because that's <laughs> that's such a poignant story. You know, I'm I'm really not the uh, the movie guy that that really I want the, I want the laugh and the uh, distractions of a movie. I don't I don't want to have to uh, get too sappy about it. What about some of your favorite TV shows? TV shows you like to binge watch? Well, I mean, House of Cards. I think I, that's that's always a binge watcher. What's one that my wife and I were watching the other night that I was zipping through? I, I forget what it was. Darkness was a good one. Um, if I'm turning on the TV and I want to relax, I'll actually watch some golf um, because I like to watch golf or I like to play golf. Or like to golf. I don't know if it's play golf or golf. It's a big question in the golf world whether it's a verb or not. Um, but yeah, a lot of Netflix movies um, or shows, I should say. Oh, you know, Fargo was a great show, uh, the yeah. Netflix version. I did that. Yeah. So that was that was another one. And uh, okay, and, and then for the uh, HGTV audience, the Fixer Upper show. Oh, and uh, House Hunters International because my wife's a realtor and I like to travel. And so uh, she doesn't like watching the show because she doesn't want to see how people look at houses. But um, I, I dig the, house, the, the housing aspect and travel. So I think my next career is either going to be a realtor or, or a uh, travel agent. You know, what drives me crazy about house hunters is they have these people on and it's like, you know, Johnny works part-time painting garages and, and Susie's a, a part-time bookkeeper and they're looking for a house to fit their $1 million budget. And you're like, what? Where do these people get this money from? So I get, I get frustrated when I watch it. I can't even watch it. Well, you know, there's a friend of mine lives uh, in Central America, and he's a realtor. I went to college with him, and he was actually uh, one of the uh, he was in one of the episodes for House Hunters International. And we're like, no way, there he is! And like, he's showing this couple like three condos or something outside the beach. And it turned out it was all fake. Like those people never actually bought a house. It was all like made-for-TV stuff. I'm like, I don't want to hear this. I want to. I want to think that that show is all for real, and this isn't made for TV. So. Yes, all that stuff is staged on television. Oh man, all that stuff is staged. Yeah, I agree. It's just, yeah, I don't, I don't buy any of it. It's crazy. All right, what about what was your favorite team growing up? Was there any, you know, the team that you kind of live and died Mm by? All right, so growing up in the Bay Area, I and I grew up loving sports, so I was the epitome of a fair weather fan. So if it came to baseball, I think I went through so many different teams that I loved because I liked. I remember, like, in the Phillies with Mike Schmidt, the Reds, the Padres, never liked the Dodgers, uh, obviously the Giants and the A's. And then from the football side, I, liked, I was born in the 70s. So I liked the Steelers, I liked the Cowboys, and then I started liking the 49ers, mm. and I liked the Raiders. I mean, I had, like, hats for all these guys. And then uh, I think probably, I don't know, maybe in the mid-'80s or early-'80s when the Niners and Cowboys were dueling it out, I was like, dude, you got to pick a team. And so I'm like, okay, I like this. Um, and then college-wise, it'd be Stanford because my mom worked at Stanford for over 25 years. So I actually grew up going to a ton of Stanford games, watching John L. play. And uh, everybody asked me now, well, who do you like to root for? Because you can't root for any of those teams. I'm like, right, I don't like any of those pro teams or <clears throat> real college teams. I went to Cal Poly, so I'll try to give a shout-out to my Mustangs here or there. But you know, I have three kids, and I coach – uh, I coach them in sports, a lot of different sports, and so it, it's pretty easy for me. I'm like, oh, I'm always cheering on my kids, whatever team they're on. Awesome, good stuff. 
All right. What about your favorite athlete of all time? Do you have one player that you just sort of always gravitated to? No, but here's what I say. I will say that, and I'll kind of bend it back toward like journalism. I would say my four favorite uh, subjects that I've interviewed um, and dealt with. Like anytime you talk to them, you go, "That oh, was just great." That was like just gold. Anything that they say, I'd say Steve Young, Bill Walsh, John Madden, and Al Davis, and not necessarily in that order because I, I, you know, they were all uh, just icons of of, of uh, professional football. Uh, really appreciated any time I got with all of them. And uh, and Al, Al and I were on good terms uh, for about two years before. He uh, waved me off at a press conference and said I was a stiff just like the rest of us. So that was a great <laughs> way to fish off the But, you know, Madden is somebody who I've really gotten to know well these last 15 years or so. And I consider him a really good friend and a mentor. And uh, he, he lives in Pleasanton, so we'll get together every now and then and just hang out, not necessarily for uh, reporting purposes, but just to check on it, check on each other. And he's a really good dude. And Steve Young's honestly one of the greatest people I've ever met. Just, uh, very kind and and uh, he's just very down to earth he's not egotistical he, he's very uh, educated and informed and 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 loves sharing his thoughts on things he's not always correct and he knows that and he's he's always with hey like i remember the first kaepernick game where steve what's going to happen he's like oh they're not going to let him air it out they're just going to hand it off and, and then kaepernick goes off we see steve after the game he's like well i was wrong so, <laughs> uh, and then and then bill walsh you know i just you know, growing up, appreciating the 49ers and everything he did to get the, the dynasty going and, and really did so much for football besides, you know, winning Super Bowls with the Niners, but instituting uh, the way practices are run, minority intern program. Uh, he did so much that that gets overlooked. And anytime I got to speak with him, I, I relished it. And one of my, uh, I mean, the guy was a great, great sense of humor too. And one of my favorite projects was uh, it was like Joe Montana's 25th anniversary of him being drafted. So I sat down with Bill just to go back over those days. And, and I'm like, hey, Bill, so who are the uh, who are the three best draft picks you had? And he, I, I don't know if I remember exactly what he said. But obviously, he said Jerry Rice, Dwight Clark, and Michael Carter. And I'm like, well, well wait a minute. What about Joe? He goes, well, Joe, you know, Joe's Joe. That, that goes without And so he doesn't need to take up one of those three spots. He's just that great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those are four amazing names. Like, I mean, those are just four legendary guys. That's just great to be able to sit and pick their brains. And Steve Young just seems like a real deep guy to me. He seems like somebody you could just sit and talk to for hours and, and just have so much to say. It's, those are, that's a great list. All right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You got another one. Oh, I was going to say the final question. Yeah. Just your favorite food, your go-to food. Go-to food. I don't know. I don't, I don't have a go-to food. That is a that is a trick question because it depends <laughs> on what mood I'm in. Um, so nothing like you can't live without. Like if you got to have like one food for the rest of your life type thing, you, you couldn't even pick. Hmm. Hmm. No. No, I do not. Oh, no. But here I'll tell you this. I will say, whenever I'm on the road, I want to make sure I get whatever that region um, is best known for. So if I'm in Baltimore, for instance, I'll like. I'll, I'll hit my sources up and find out, okay, what, what do I have to have? Okay, you got to have a crab cake. So I remember going into this one section of Baltimore where I really shouldn't have been and got one of the best crab cakes ever, but crab cakes are fine. Um, toasted ravioli in St. Louis, and that made St. Louis uh, tolerable for all the trips I had to go there. 
You know, there's every city has something really cool, like Pittsburgh with Pramani sandwiches. Um, uh, I love being on the road and, and just and getting to know the culture of each city. And, and a lot of times I, I will go get a haircut at a barber shop. Uh, I'll go on a pregame run. I'll, I'll sample whatever a couple of the local beers are. And, and I'm doing like I do travel recaps um, uh, after each game or after each road trip just so I can remember what was the cool stuff I did on each road. What was the best things I ate? So uh, I don't have a uh, a palate that is very it has to have this or that but it's it's fun to explore let me put it that way i i'm i'm always open to new things but i'm not a uh i'm not a crazy uh i will not eat crazy stuff uh although i have had alligator and escargot on the road are you a big craft beer guy do you like different to try different kinds of craft beers i am i am and um but i'm not a guy that ever wants to brew my own i think it's too much trouble uh i do enjoy uh Trying out different. Okay, I'll give you my top. Let me think of my top craft beers that we've had over the years. Uh, now we're now we're talking. A, um, yeah, here we go. And here's now we're picking this. Now we're going to get everybody back in the podcast. Was uh, <laughs> one of the best ones we got turned on to a couple of years ago was in Indianapolis um, called uh, Three Floyd Zombie Dust. And yes, that's yep. outstanding. It's a good IPA. I'm a big IPA guy. Me I, too. You know, I know IPA has gotten a bad rap because people know it's all trendy over there, but I really appreciate the hoppiness. Um, I like the I like the taste of it. I don't like uh, like flat and just kind of I don't like wheat and lager and um, these. I, I've I've been to Europe and tried a lot of different beers too, but uh, I'm a big IPA guy. Uh, Seattle has Lucille's uh, by Georgetown Brewing. Uh, there's a one in Houston called uh, Yellow Rose, I believe, and uh, that's outstanding. And uh, down in Florida, there's a uh, High Life from Cigar City Brewing is another good one. So I think those are some of my top ones I've had over the last couple of years. Now, mind you, I, I can't be drinking a lot on the road because we've got to get to cover games, but I will have a couple and, and just sample them out and make sure that's a good one. So I'll ask the bartenders for what's the one beer you have to have. And, um, and a couple of years ago when we were in Houston, we were at uh, a brewery, and it was um, the, the, the man, we asked if they had Pliny the Elder. And because that's, you know, if I'm on the road, I want to have California beer because I know we ace it and I want to see what they can do. But uh, so this guy said, no, we don't have Pliny, but I, there's a great beer from Austin. I just go up and get it. I have it in the back. Let me go get you guys some. And, you know, he was really nice. And so the following year when we went back to Houston for the exhibition game, uh, Mayoko and I brought him bottles of Pliny and, and Blind Pig, and uh, everybody loved us in the restaurant. So it was, I think it was the flying sauce. We'll give them a plug. Uh, so it's kind of fun to reciprocate like that if you find somebody that has a, mutual interest and uh and taste it that way if you ever get out on the east coast because i'm an east coast guy uh if you ever get to vermont hetty topper is unbelievable i heard and and I also tr- treehouse julius is one of the best beers i've had it almost says it's an ipa it almost has like an orange juice aftertaste it's fantastic so if you're where, out where's that from where it's that in massachusetts in massachusetts um Okay. I don't know quite where in Massachusetts, but it's 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 really good. I mean, lines out the door; they only open like certain hours. It's one of those things. It's it's fantastic. That's so, fun. so any of those I'd recommend. So, well, hey, if I ever see you on the East Coast in the press box at one of these things, I'll uh, I'll see if I can sneak one in for you. So, <laughs> uh, please do, please. Do. All right, Cam, all right, that's great. Really appreciate the time today. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, and I look forward to reading your stuff this season. Well, thanks so much. My, me too, and enjoy the season. And uh, it can't be any worse than last year. No, only can go up from here. So thank you so much, Cam. Okay, Okay, cheers. Bye-bye.
Thanks again to Cam Inman for the time. You could follow Cam on Twitter at Cam Inman. That's at C-A-M-I-N-M-A-N. And I love having the beat writers and, and the national reporters and the, and the players on because you really you really get to get to know them and, and not only hear their opinions on the 49ers, but get to hear a little bit about them. And that's great because we spend so much time reading and, and watching these guys to have them on and get to feel like you know them a little bit more as a person is always fun to do. So again, very, very, very exciting time coming up. Enjoy this first preseason game. Tweet at us. Tweet at me. Tweet at Zane at Al Sapo Forty Nine at Zane Forty Niners. Uh, we love to interact with the fans back and forth during the games. So give us a shout, and we will definitely talk as the Niners are playing and hopefully looking good with a new offense, with a new defense. Hopefully Brian Hoyer comes out and looks sharp. Hopefully CJ Beathard looks like the future. Hopefully Ruben Foster and Solomon Thomas look like they're going to be dominant players. And fingers crossed, no one gets injured. Let's just get out of this preseason without any more major injuries. Thanks, everybody, for the time. This is Al Sacco for the No Huddle Podcast for 49ers Web Zone. We'll talk to you soon.